0: Alright, let's sing the chorus again. seems predictable, God. We, wanna, we want you just to come in
1: and make things unpredictable. You're the Lord of all creation. Water, earth, and sky. What a mysterious God you are, declares your Your majesty majesty. you are holy
0: God of wonders beyond our galaxy, you are holy,
1: holy, the universe declares your majesty, you are holy.
2: with us, worship with us. When we get here on Sunday mornings, our prayer is that we can bring you into
1: worship in song, in message, and we need your help. Just worship with us. Who could imagine a melody True enough to tell of your mercy Who could imagine a harmony Sweet enough to tell of your love I see the heavens proclaiming you day after day And I know in my heart that there must be a way To sing a greater song Glory. Our highest praise of people breath, whisper of your thunderous love. I see the
2: Thanks, guys. Great worship. I'm real excited about the message this morning because when I I remember learning this very distinctly as a young Christian and it transformed, it revolutionized my understanding of the gospel and my appreciation for my relationship with God. It's, It's a sermon on the covenants. Maybe you are familiar with the covenants and what they are and how they were brought about, but that's what I want to go over today and just share with you the kind of relationship that God desires to have with you. I'm going to get very basic with you. As you know, the Bible is divided into two, what? Testaments, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Well, it just so happens that the Greek word for testament is diatheke, and that word could also be translated covenant. So the Bible is divided into two covenants, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And that's what the Bible is all about. The Old Testament is the Old Covenant God had with the children of Israel. The The New Testament is the New Covenant that God has with us through Jesus Christ. I'm going to take you through how those covenants were established this morning and hopefully a little better understanding of them. My Old Testament reading comes from Psalm chapter 81, verses 6 through 10. Psalm 81, starting with verse 6. And it says this, I relieved your shoulder of the burden, your hands were freed from the basket. He's talking about delivering them from Egypt, slavery. In distress you called, and I delivered you. I answered you in the sweet place of thunder. I tested you in the waters of Meribah. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you, O Israel, if you would listen to me, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. Listen to this. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. What's the analogy God is speaking there to the children of Israel? Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. He's talking about a baby bird, isn't he? you ever seen a baby bird in a nest? It's a scraggly piece of flesh attached to a wide open beak. And basically, if you're looking at that nest, that's all you can see is that wide open mouth. And God is saying, Israel, if you will be like a baby bird, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Now, what, what kind of relationship did God have with Israel that he could say that to them, that they could be like a baby bird and he would fill their mouths? It all goes back to the covenant. You've got to understand, back in the Old Testament times, covenants were fairly common things between two equal parties. And there's some things that happen, some steps you go through when you enter into a covenant with a friend, with another a party. Uh, the word covenant in Hebrew literally means to cut a covenant. And so there's always a cutting that takes place when a covenant is formed. There's usually... Uh, a cut maybe on the wrist where the blood flows and it's intermingled, kind of like, you remember how Indians used to do blood brothers? You know, they'd cut themselves and the blood would flow and it would intermingle and then there'd be a scar left somewhere on your wrist and that would be a reminder to you and to the other party and to everybody who saw it, kind of like the rings we wear in wedding bands, that, that you're in a covenant relationship with somebody else. Mar- As a matter of fact, marriage is the closest thing we have to a covenant Today, marriage is where two people come together and become one. Everything I have is yours. Everything you have is yours. No, everything you have is mine, and uh, it's, it's, it's two two parties coming together to forge a covenant relationship where two become one. There's some things that usually happen in the establishment of a covenant in Old Testament days. First of all, there was the exchange of coats and weapons. When you exchanged your coat with somebody, you were saying, all that I have is yours. When you exchanged your weapon with somebody, you're saying, all of my defenses, all of my strength, all of my power, I give to you. All of your strength, all of your power, all of your defenses, you give to me. You know, we just sang the song, you are my shield, my strength, my portion, my deliverer. We're in a covenant relationship with God. I want to get to that in a minute. There is uh, an exchange of names, usually when a covenant is formed. In marriage, some, the wife takes on the husband's name. In Old Testament times, there would be a portion of a person's name that was transferred to the other person. A portion of his name became part of my name, so people would know that I'm not an individual anymore. I'm not out there alone all by myself. I'm in a covenant relationship with somebody else. There was, there was usually a blood cutting, too, as I mentioned where the blood flows and where it intermingles and where a scar is left remaining as a reminder that you're in a covenant relationship with someone. Usually there's a memorial in the Old Testament where like stones are piled up and people come by and say, what do those stones mean? And you can say that's, that's where two people entered into a covenant relationship with each other and, and they shared all of their resources, all of their gifts, all of their abilities, all of their talents And that pile of stones became a memorial, a reminder to a covenant that had been established. Finally, there would be a covenant meal where the two families would sit down and lay all their weapons aside and and partake in fellowship together of food. So all of those things happened in the Old Testament when two equal parties came together and entered into a covenant relationship with each other. There are not that many in the Old Testament, but in in the literature of this time, we find covenants like that pretty frequently. Why is this important to us? Because believe it or not, God Almighty entered into just such a covenant relationship with man. He entered into a relationship with us, and that is mind-boggling when you stop and think about it. Because first of all, it's not two equal parties, not by a long shot. God, in his grace and mercy, reached down and, and willingly entered into a covenant relationship with us. I'm going to back up to the other Old Testament reading. It's Genesis 15, verses 7 through 21. This is where the covenant is actually established. It's actually cut in the Old Testament, and it's between God and Abraham. You probably read this passage before in Genesis and didn't have a clue what was going on. I'm going to explain it to you. Genesis 15, I'm going to start at verse 1. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. You see, God's already giving Abram his defenses. And then skip over to verse 7. He said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a she-goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in two, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And when the birds of prey came down above the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham, and lo, a dread and great darkness fell upon him. You see, Abraham could not enter into a covenant directly with Almighty God. So God put Abraham to sleep and initiated the covenant, both sides of the covenant, on his behalf. The Lord said to Abraham, Know of a surety that your descendants will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs will be slaves there, they will be oppressed for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation, nation which they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. They shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Now the covenant is forged, verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking pot and flaming torch Passed between the pieces. That, that flame represented the presence of God. Passing between those sacrifices that had been uh, cut in half. That pot passed between them. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your descendants I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, to the land of the Kenizzites, I'm sorry, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kedmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gergeshites, and the Jebusites. You didn't know all those people were in there, did you? What's important is that God put Abraham to sleep, and while those animals were sacrificed and split in half, a flaming pot and torch passed between them. God initiated a covenant with Abraham. How did he do that? Well, it says, remember the parts of the covenant I said? Verse 1, God gives Abraham... His coat, his shield, he's letting down his defenses. I am your shield. Verses 9 and 10, the animal is split and the covenant begins. That flaming pot is God initiating the covenant. Verse 12, he puts Abraham to sleep and initiates his part on his behalf because it is not between two equals. It is between Almighty God and lowly, sinful man. God said, that's all right. I'm going to initiate my half, and I'm going to do your half for you. You go to sleep. You remember I said there was a mark in the flesh with a scar? What's the mark in the flesh of the covenant for the Israelites? Circumcision. That became the mark of the covenant. What about the exchange of names? This is where it really gets interesting. How did God exchange names with Abraham and Sarai? Well, what's the name of God in the Old Testament? The name of God is Yahweh. You spell it Y-H-W-H. What's the predominant letter in the name of Yahweh? H. Abram all of a sudden becomes what? Abraham with an H. Sarai, S-A-R-A-I, suddenly becomes Sarah with an H. The name of God is now incorporated into the names of Abraham, who becomes Abraham, and Sarai, who becomes Sarah. What are the blessings and curses? All you got to do is read Deuteronomy and Leviticus, and you'll find the long list of blessings and curses. What blessings and curses? Blessings if you uphold your end of the covenant, curses if you forsake it. We're in a covenant relationship. It's not something you walk away from, Israel. I will bless you if you will be my people and I will be your God. If you reject me, if you incorporate foreign gods into your worship and desert this covenant, I will curse you. That's what the Old Testament prophets are all about. The children of Israel are leaving the covenant and they keep calling the children of Israel back to faithfulness, back to the covenant relationship that God had cut with them out of his grace and mercy. He gave himself. To the children of Israel, all that they had was his, all that God had. Think about that. All that God has becomes property of the children of Israel. His strength, his power, his resources. All those things he places at their disposal if they will just remain faithful to the covenant. But all through the pages of the Old Testament, you see how they come to God and then they desert. And then they come back and then they desert and they come back. And then they desert. What's the memorial of the covenant? Instead of a pile of stones, the memorial became the ark. It's called the ark of what? The ark of the covenant. And, and the top of the ark of the covenant was the mercy seat. That's the place where they considered God to sit, where they had God with them. And that's why the ark of the covenant was so precious To the children of Israel, not only did it represent the presence of God with them wherever they went, but it also was a reminder of the covenant relationship they had with Almighty God. Wherever the ark went, the children of Israel were protected. Whenever the ark preceded them into battle, they were spared. They were victorious because God was with them. These were his people, and he was in a covenant relationship with them, and they were in a relationship with him. Another thing you need to understand moving on in this outline is the the concept of a covenant head. When Abraham entered into a covenant with God and became Abraham, it wasn't just Abraham entering into covenant. Abraham became a covenant head and he represented all of his descendants in the establishment of a covenant. When, When you die, your covenant doesn't End. It extends to your children and your children's children. So it's like, two, it's like a pyramid. Two friends establish a covenant and then it just gets bigger and bigger. Abraham was a covenant head for Isaac, for Jacob, for Joseph, for the twelve tribes of Israel, for all of the descendants, all the children of Israel were under this covenant that Abraham, their forefather, had cut with Almighty God over and over, God says, I am the God of your fathers. I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Israel, be faithful to the covenant that was cut with your forefather Abraham. That's what the Old Testament is all about. Israel's faithfulness to the covenant and then their unfaithfulness. And it just comes and goes like that over and over. I hope the Old Testament stories now begin to make a little sense when you understand that what belongs to Israel belongs to God. What belongs to God belongs to Israel when you're in a covenant relationship with somebody. When God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, he was just asking Abraham to do something with what already belonged to God because Isaac was in a covenant relationship with God through the covenant head, his father Abraham. Do you see? Everything begins to make sense. Everything that belongs to Israel belongs to God. Everything that belongs to God belongs to Israel. Well, Israel goes into enslavement for 400 years in Egypt. And finally, a man named Moses remembers the covenant that Israel has with God. And he goes to God and he says, God, are you going to let Egypt treat your people whom you have a covenant with like this? What does God say? Let My people go. And God smashed Egypt to be faithful to the covenant because somebody remembered it and claimed it, and God honored it because God always honors His covenant. It's we who are faithless time and time again. God says, let my people go, and so Moses leads two million helpless former slaves out into the desert with no food or water. Now, what's his plan for survival? His sole plan for survival is the fact that Moses knows that Israel's in a covenant relationship with God and God's going to take care of them. Amen? God provided manna during the day. He provided water for them when they needed it. Everything the children of Israel needed, God provided because they were in a covenant relationship with him and he was gonna provide for them. Now David and Goliath make sense. Goliath comes out and taunts the children of Israel and they quake and shake in their boots. They're terrified. But there's a young shepherd boy named David who knows the covenant. And he comes out and he says, you don't mess with the children of God like this. And David strode out into into that plain. And he, if Goliath knew who was standing beside David, Goliath would have been the one terrified that day. Because Goliath was not only taunting the children of Israel, he was taunting God because they were in a covenant relationship with each one, with each of them. So when David went out and slew Goliath, it was God who was standing beside him who was really doing it. This is is the only way that sinful man can ever hope to have any claim on Almighty God because God in His mercy extended that claim to us. But you know that by the end of the Old Covenant, Israel forsook the covenant, the curses fell, and God moved on. And that brings us in the closing minutes to the New Covenant, which is the New Testament. Almighty God... After Israel forsook the old covenant, Almighty God didn't give up on us, but He came and He cut a new covenant with man that is so fantastic, so much better than the Old Testament, than the Old Covenant was. If you want to read the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, basically it's a comparison of the New Covenant with the Old Covenant. And throughout Hebrews, you will find that the New Covenant has better priests, it has better promises, it has a better covenant. Everything about the new covenant is far greater than the old covenant. Instead of a sacrificial animal that's cut and blood is shed, what was a sacrificial animal to cut the covenant of the New New Testament, the new covenant? It's Jesus, the Lamb of God, whose body was cut and whose blood was shed so that we could be in a covenant relationship with him. What meal? What's the covenant meal for the new, te- the new covenant? It's the Lord's Supper. Jesus initiated the Lord's Supper to be the covenant meal for the new covenant. We are in a covenant relationship, guys. If you're in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, and you have professed your faith in him, and he has forgiven you of your sins, then I've got something important to tell you. You are in a covenant relationship With Almighty God. All that you have belongs to Him. All that He has belongs to you. All you have to do is come to Him and admit your need and open your mouth wide like a baby bird and He will fill it. That's what He has said that He would do. Facing temptation, quit struggling. Simply say, God, I can't handle this by myself. I'm in a covenant relationship with you. You're in a covenant relationship with me. I need your power. I need your strength. I can't do this alone. And God will pour out his resources upon you. Be faithful to the covenant. Don't forsake it like Israel did. Just trust and wait on him. Worship And wait, Isaiah 40, 31. Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. It's not a covenant relationship between two equals. There are covenants like that in the Old Testament times. This is nowhere near that. This is a covenant between Almighty God and sinful man. But God simply asks us, to hold up our end of the bargain, to be faithful to the covenant, admit our need, and receive His help. I'm not advocating a name-it-and-claim-it kind of theology that's so simplistic, but I am saying that God in a covenant relationship has placed Himself at your disposal. And there is a new covenant provided for you through Jesus' death on the cross. And being in a relationship with Almighty God by your trust and faith in Him through what Jesus did in the pages of the New Covenant or the New Testament places God at your disposal, places His resources, His power, His strength in your hands. Admit your need. Quit struggling. Open your mouth wide. And God will fill it. The Bible is the story of an old covenant with Israel and a new covenant with the Church through Jesus Christ. I hope that understanding gives you the the insight to know that you don't have to cower in fear, that you don't you don't have to be afraid, you don't have to be powerless in your faith because God is in a covenant relationship with you let's pray God it boggles our minds we just cannot take it in we can't fathom why you would descend to earth Jesus humbled himself and took on the form of a servant and became one of us and offered his body as the covenant sacrifice and established a covenant meal called the Lord's Supper and you became our shield our power, our strength, our defender you placed at our disposal the great riches of heaven and yet still we live powerless lives because we don't understand. We thank you that in the Old Testament, there's somebody like Moses who came along and someone like David who came along and others who were able to grasp the meaning of a covenant. And when people touched Israel, they weren't just touching Israel, but they were touching you and you ran to their defense. And you'll do the same for us today. Father, some of us are under attack, some of us are struggling, some of us have, have problems bigger than we can manage alone. And you promise that we don't have to. Not that trusting you makes every, everything, all the hardships disappear. But it just means we have somebody to help shoulder the burden. And you're there always, always available. Help us to live in the light of the truth of this covenant and represent you. For us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing a hymn of commitment and decision. We had several professions of faith in Bible school this week. Maybe some of those children are here this morning. Maybe others of you have been worshiping with us and you want to join the church today. Maybe others of you have decisions to make. Whatever your need, you come. I'll be at the front to receive you. Please come as we stand and sing.